0: Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome again. Glad to have you with us today as we continue our series with Warren Litzman on Renewing the Mind. The response has been terrific, and we're so happy that you're blessed and gaining more knowledge of this great lesson that Warren is teaching. Let's get right into it. This is Part 10, Renewing the Mind Here's Warren Litzman. You got a
1: Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians
2: 5.
1: 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When I get to thinking about what is what are the things we ought to consider? In these meetings My mind is flooded with ideas, but then I have to simmer it down until we come to what it is that's most important, and actually I guess it's the things that I feel are most important, and I pray they are to you. I came to this meeting with the desire to set you on a thinking about renewing your mind. The mind is a very important factor in your spiritual walk it, in fact, now that you are born again, is the most important factor of your spiritual walk. However, we don't treat it like that. We have a tendency to treat body far more uh, with time and interest than we do the mind. As you know, the mind uh, will play out on you. You get old enough uh play tricks on you. And that's because you don't keep renewing it. We don't keep new ideas and new thoughts coming to it. A person that becomes stereotyped to their way of living has ceased to grow in their mind. If you want to keep a mind that is healthy, you need to always keep developing truth, new ideas, new thoughts. And of course, the mind determines body. You understand that? Your mind determines what you are in body. If you think you can do a thing uh, you can probably do it or at least uh, almost do it if your mind is quickened. So this is one way that we grow in body, soul, and spirit is by learning. What our greatest enemy is in learning is our past. Our past keeps us from developing our mind so that it expands and grows. We know something psychologically about the mind. For instance, before you're six years of age, that's a mean age, before or at six years of age or thereabouts, your mind has expanded to its fullest. All it will ever hold is determined by how much that mind has expanded by the time you're about six years of age. So it's important that a, a child have mind expansion through before it reaches that mean age. It may be seven, maybe eight, maybe even four. But that's what expands the mind. Well, that means for all the rest of your life, you have a mind expanded to the degree that it holds information. So if along the way, you come across a desire to know something, a good example is computers. Many people over, I'll use age 50 again, have a real struggle with computers and don't want to touch them, don't want to to have anything to do with them. And why is that? because the mind is not expanded to where they want to take in that information. I remember for a good three or four years I fought it. I, I didn't even know how to turn on a computer. We have uh, four or five of them in our offices. And I would always ask somebody else, please turn it on and get this address for me or get this phone number for me or find out about this person or that person, every person we have on the computer. I couldn't even turn the thing on. So... It bothered me. I had a grandson, three years of age, that was turning it on and off and playing games on it all day, so I figured, uh, is my mind able to handle a little more information? And sure enough, it was, because I have reached the stage to where I can turn it on and turn it off. That may be my limit.
2: <laughs>
1: I do a lot of typing on it, and sometimes since I can't type, I hunt and peck, I hit the wrong button. A number of times I've hit the wrong button and the whole thing went blank. <laughs> I didn't know what to do then, so I'd have to call my, one of my sons in who was more or less an expert on computers, and he'd hit the right button and I'd be back ready to go again until I hit another wrong button. I never did even know what wrong button I hit. But my mind found it difficult to expand to this new technology of our age. But I finally awakened to the fact that I would be left out of this generation if I didn't know it, because we're going to be an electronic generation from now on, no doubt about it. So you need to know something about it. But what is it that happens to us so that when a new thing like that comes along, we have no place for it? We just think, I can't learn it. at first, they threw computer books at me and said, hey, you need to read this book. I opened up to page one and was lost in the first paragraph. I said, I can't handle that. And then they throw another book at me and said, you need to read this. I hadn't even gotten into programs yet. I was just trying to figure out what a computer was. What is it that hinders the mind at that point to where you don't want to take in anymore? For instance, I have had scores of people who have been in these meetings who sat and say. I just don't want anymore. I just can't handle anymore. I just don't know what you're saying. I just don't understand. Well, so it is that their mind has reached a place to where it's rather painful because it won't expand anymore. So when you're, when you're over 50 and you know your mind isn't going to expand anymore, what do you have to do to take in information? You have to empty out some. Empty. Dip out. Hmm. You have to get rid of something. But now this is the way the scriptures are written. The Bible, written by the Holy Spirit, is so written that anybody that grows in the truth of the scriptures must constantly empty out to take them to new. Why is that? It's because the Holy Spirit... Let's say as an example, could write the word one, just one, O-N-E, one, and when you first read it, it means one thing. When you read it the next time, it means something else. When you read it years later, it means something else. What is that? That is that the Holy Spirit, in writing a simple word, can have so much greater meaning to it as you grow in your understanding than you've ever Thought possible. It's like John three sixteen. I've often said that the simple verse, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, in my lifetime that verse has changed at least seven times. When I first read it, it meant one thing. When I next read it, it meant another. When I next read it, it meant another. And each time I took in new information about it, I realized that the old information is incomplete, set it aside. Eat this. It. It out of your mind. Because now you're coming into present truth. I think Peter had that in mind in his epistle when he said present truth. That's a big term. Uh, theologians don't like it because they want you to believe what they've already written. But present truth is what the Holy Spirit is saying to you here and now. Well, that changes, does it not? But only if there's space for it. Only if there is a place in your mind for truth do you get it. And if you're not willing to make a place for it, then you stagnate in that level, that, on that strata. That's where your understanding will stop. Now, I run into a lot of people, not picking on anybody, but uh, we have a lot of Roman Catholics that come to our meeting, and the first thing I hear from them is, I'm satisfied. I'm right where I ought to be. They have had it drummed into them. This is the true church. This is the true gospel. This is the true understanding of God. There is none other. And so if God had a new truth for them, there's no place for it because they are not willing to release that understanding. Well, it's not just Roman Catholics. It's it's charismatic. That's the next group I'd talk about because they are the most whatever (laughs) and they're not open to truth except what they see. Pentecostals are a lot like that. I was a Baptist. They're especially like that. It's hard to change them at all. Because it seems that most human beings come to a place where they want to get something settled. I want to get this settled. I want to get over the hump. I've got it settled. This is it. I'm ready to die with it. Well, that'd be hard to do in this generation. You remember those little uh, pads we used to run around with had batteries in them, and we could punch them and get all of our figures and little hand, out. what do you call those things? Uh, little calculators, do you remember that? Yeah. What if you said, now I'm not going beyond the calculator, that's it. You'd be lost for this generation, wouldn't you? Because you don't see anybody with a calculator anymore, I don't think, unless they're... Somebody who's stopped moving on because everything is turned to something else. Well, that's the way it is in the spirit. We keep on moving from glory to glory. We keep on moving from thought to thought, from understanding to understanding. Now, you can't do that if you're in a box. And when you decide to get out of the box, then is when you can start taking in the new information. But for most of us, we're going to have to empty out the old information. Most people who come to the Christ life really don't have a problem with new information as much as they have a problem with the old information. Because what you have believed previously has helped to fashion who you are or create your identity. The reason why some people can't move on into new and greater truth is because their identity is so attacked they feel they'll not be who they're supposed to be, so they won't turn loose. They won't even be open to hear it because they want to hold on to this old information. Now, I'm saying all this is a long introduction to a verse of Scripture that I said uh, yesterday was the most difficult verse of Scripture for a believer I found in the, in the Bible, and that's Second Corinthians 5 and 17. That's the very popular verse that says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature, all things are passed away. Now, that's where I stop. Because here is something from the man who knew the human being better than any other. He could not say we had become new creatures unless he said old things have passed away. Because you can't handle new creature living unless something happens to the old thing. That's the most difficult verse I know has to do with salvation because most believers have never dealt with old things passing away. What has happened to us is that we have brought Christ into our life And ask him to change all the bad things, but leave us alone. Leave me alone. If I got something bad, Lord, take care of it. If I'm sick, heal me. If I don't understand, teach me. If I'm poor, provide for me. But leave me alone. All things pass away. That's hard. That's the hardest thing you do. That's like making a decision. That was hard. This is hard to release these old things. I'd like to have your mind renewed to this thought. Am I willing to let old things pass away? Can I renew my mind to something new, something greater, something better, something right from the Lord? Old things pass away. Well. We've got to talk about what happened to you when you got saved. What really took place when you got saved. We don't talk about this much. Paul mentions it at a time or two in a scripture or two. He talks about us being babes in Christ. If you were to ask me, and I had a long time to talk about it, what is wrong with the average Christian, I think my quick answer would be the average Christian has never been a babe in Christ. Now, have you noticed that? Have you noticed in our generation that it's hard to find somebody that just outright doesn't know anything about the Bible or God or church? So everybody that we're leading to the Lord already has some roots in them, some deep roots in them about religion. Have you ever thought about that? I saw when I pastored that we could have a meeting going on and everybody would be singing and a fellow right off the street could walk in and, and sit on the back row and in a little while he'd be singing. And he could come to the meetings and sing. Finally, he'd be clapping his hands and praising the Lord. And as time went along, he kept moving down in the audience to the next row, the next row, the next row, and finally uh, he'd be right down front and the preacher would say something important, and he'd jump and say, Amen. Have a, he'd be having a ball. And finally, when we called people down to front, he would come down and start praying with them. But he never had gotten saved. he just fit in. It was like an osmosis. It's just going to happen. You know. He figured since he was acting like all the rest of them and doing what everybody else did, that he was one of them. And it could have been that all the rest of them had done it like that, so there wasn't anybody there. We just kind of evolve into spiritual things these days. It's on television, it's in the bookstores, it's on the radio, it's just everywhere. It's just hard to find a hard core center. They're all a little bit religiously inclined, you see. Everybody. That's what I mean by osmosis. We just, take one stage after another and and, uh, never have that real point in life where we accept the Lord. Somehow we feel above it. Somehow we feel like I'm I'm like everybody else. When I lead somebody to the Lord, I'm never in a hurry. I have time and patience for somebody accepting Christ because I want them of their own free will to come to a place where they can't live without a Savior. I don't want them to just evolve into it. We have Romanism that says you're born into it. We have Episcopalianism and Church of England that says you're born into it. So we've got all of these discrepancies to what I think are truth, so that people today just don't really have a bona fide birthing from the Lord. So we evolve into Christianity. They never obey. We don't let them be obeyed. Some of my preacher friends have a thing they call, uh, it's like a catechism. They get new convert classes, and they have to go through the catechism to be a bona fide member of that, yeah. of that church. And that bothers me, not that that's not good for a new convert to learn, but somehow after they take the course and finish it, they're not new converts anymore. They're not babes in Christ anymore. Well, you say, why in the world you want to say a babe in Christ? Because a babe in Christ is in the most wonderful stage of Christianity he'll ever be in. What's the most important thing about a baby? He has, it has no past. It's fresh. It's fresh. That's why I'd like for people to know what a babe in Christ is, because when I get them in a meeting like this, it's mighty hard for me to change their mind about their past. And you see, it's that past that filled their mind so that no new truth can come in. So what happens is, they never were a babe in Christ to get that understanding that now that I have been rebirthed, I have no past. Well, you got to admit right off, you don't hear Christianity like this anymore. You hear it preached, if you'll get saved, folks, the Lord will straighten out your past. That's not what the Bible says. We become babes in Christ, and we have no past. You understand that? You understand what I'm talking about? I'm leading to what I think is a major point in our generation, and that point is that there is so much talk about people's past today that nobody is free of their past. In my neighborhood, pastor of a little pool gospel church, probably a wholeness preacher, was laying the law down to his, I think, a 14-year-old daughter. You know what she did? She ran to the police and gave a lie and said, my daddy has been abusing me. You know what they did? They arrested that pastor, all on a lie, front page of the newspaper. That life is darkened and ruined because we live in a generation that is so obsessed with people's past. I don't know if you get the television talk shows here or not. You ever get any of those things? They're wicked. What do they do? They dig up people's past. Anything they can dig up that's stimulating. And everybody that watches it thinks, now that might have happened to me. Maybe that's why I have this headache all the time. Somebody abused me when I was three. Let me think. Did that happen? Oh, it might have happened. That uncle came in. This happened. That happened. Mama did something to me. Before long, they generated an erroneous past. And we recognize it. We honor it. Society does. Well, I gotta tell you what one of the furthest out things is with me. I believe when you were born again, you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. I don't care if prior to being born again you were raped six times, somebody attempted murder on you, somebody misused you all your life, and your parents threw you away after you was born. When you were born again, you were a new creation, and old things had passed away. And you say that's impossible, yes? Just looking at it on the surface, it's impossible to find somebody who was born again, and their past meant nothing. But I've wrestled much of my life with people's past. That's what a psychologist does. And clinically, we used to try to dig up their past and show them what their troubles were. I stopped doing that when I came to the message of Christ in Because then I begin to pinpoint the new life, not the old. I begin to talk about who they were in Christ Jesus, not who they were in Satan. And when I did that, I saw some success. I never saw success in trying to drown out people's past. All I did was make them conscious of it, get it out in the open, so to speak. And then a big portion of them I had to send to a psychiatrist to get medicated because they couldn't handle it. So you know what I do now? When somebody begins to tell me what happened to them years ago, first thing I say to them is, are you saved? Oh, yes, I'm faithful of the Holy Ghost. Then I say, let's not talk about that to God, to God your past does not exist. Our perhaps number one sickness in this generation is a depression or a degree of depression. Most everybody that doesn't want to do something has depression. There's a very small percentage of people who have organic depression. Most of it is caused by the pressures of living and and maybe the news media. That's a big thing. You tell somebody that they're depressed because of things that have happened to them, and all of a sudden they get real sick. I got a fellow I'm dealing with now who every time I talk with him about his depression, it gets worse. When I tell him that to God it doesn't exist, he really gets sick. So I can see that that's become a security pillar to him. That whatever he doesn't want to do, he'll be depressed about it because the things of the past are bothering him. That's, A major source, not the total, but the major source of depression is the past. People can't handle it. People who can't handle their past begin to use it. They use it somewhere. I don't know if you ever dealt with uh, manic-type people, but the majority of them use what's happened to them to their own benefit. So I'm quick to tell people that we're not going to deal with your past anymore if you got saved. When you got saved, old things passed away. But the problem is, most people who've gotten saved have run into a lot of problems of life since. So they're all worried about those. Then is when I have to tell them that now that you're in Christ, you must renew your mind. If necessarily daily, renew your mind. Because none of these things matter. So, to the believer who has a problem with his past, I send them to Philippians 3. Now, have you ever gotten the cure out of Philippians 3? Don't turn to it, it takes the whole chapter to get cured. Uh, The actual cure is you take one a day for 100 days. And if you're not cured by then, you ought to pray for the Lord to pick you. That's what this doctor thinks (laughs)
2: about.
1: What's the heart of that third chapter? Two or three important things. He says, everything that's made me me, I've suffered the loss of. Everything that makes me me, everything that gives me an identity, my birthing, my parents, my race, my nationality, my training, All of it, he says, gone. Now, this is is how you get sanity. This is how you get cured of depression. It's all gone. He said, I have suffered the loss of everything that makes me me for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, if that's not a cure, I don't know. But there's not many people who do that, you know. And then he said, if you've still got a problem, you need to forget. You need to forget. What? All the things of the past. Well, I've got to tell you, that's hard to do, too. Because I think I've already mentioned the, the trigger point, you can just say a word to some people and that throws them in a tailspin, because it triggers something in them about their past, and they can't handle it, their past. I had an experience one time, I had a revival in a city, and, and this thing happened, this, this woman was sitting in my meeting, and one night, she just burst out screaming. Just screaming, there was a big crowd there. It's under a tent, and I had to stop the meeting. And so, instead of having her carted out by the ushers, I went back to where she was and prayed for her that she'd stop the screaming. And finally, someone there said, "You ought to know why she's screaming." I said, well, why is she screaming? I said, not long ago, a few days ago or weeks, whatever it was, she was in her kitchen washing dishes, and she heard a loud noise out in front of her house. She ran to the picture window in the living room and looked out, and the family car was out in the street upside down, and laying beside it was her husband and her son, both dead. It had made such an impact on her. So something had been said in that meeting to trigger that, and she couldn't handle it. And she started screaming. Well, I, after hearing this, had different feeling about what was going on. It wasn't the devil. It was a circumstance of life that she wasn't able to control or handle. So I felt letting the Lord do something. I took the 96th Psalm, and I, put the Bible in her hands while she was still shaking and her screaming had subsided somewhat. And I said, Lady, I want you to read this 96th Psalm to me out loud. Isn't that the one that says he that put us in the secret place of most high'? 91. Well, it was 91. You're right. 91. She looked up at me as if to say, Why don't you lay hands on me and cast the devil out of me? The present wasn't her problem. It was the past. Now, I needed to renew her mind, so I had her to read the 91st Psalm once, and she quit her crying. I had her to read it the second time, and she looked up and smiled. And I had a big crowd watching all this. The second time, she looked up and smiled. She got halfway through it the third time, and being of a uh, Pentecostal race, she jumped up and started shouting. <laughs> Because the presence, presence of God became greater than the past. Now, what it is I'd like to see your mind renewed to is the fact that you have no past since you've been born again. But the reason you don't want to really take that in is because there are things in your past that you are linked to that you think give you present identity of who you are. Let's take the family, for instance. Old things have passed away. What would be the first thing should be considered technically or theologically that passed away? What is the most important thing that passed away? It's first birthing. And you can't handle that, can you? To God, your first birthing has passed away. What is that? What your mom and daddy did to get you. That's past. Well, that's deep in you, isn't it? You're not going to throw that out right away. But that's where it starts. That's why the scriptures, especially when Jesus was dealing with subjects of discipleship, that he was so strong on the family issue. If a disciple will not leave his mother and father. In his own life, he was hard on the subject. From the moment he started preaching, he would not call Mary Mother again. He called her Woman, with one exception to his death. Why would he be so hard on this subject? Because that fit what was necessary to the new birthing. There's no place for the new birth in most people. Someone said to me not long ago, a preacher in fact, He said, why is it so little is explained about the born again? I spend all my time talking about a birth and being born again. He said, why is so little explained about it? I said, it's simple. Nobody wants to make it more important than first birth. I just said in this meeting that our gathering together here is a more powerful family relationship once you understand Christ in you and Christ in others than going to a natural birth family reunion. Why? I can look at you and not have to know one thing about you and know that when I hug your neck, you're a bona fide child of my father, and I don't need to know anything else. But you go to a family reunion, and everything that happened from the time the two of you fought in the crib surfaces And if you listen to Oprah long enough, there'll be something your mama did or your daddy did or our next-door neighbor did or the school teacher did. And it won't be long until your past is what determines who you are and there's no place for Christ. You say, well, I just wish Jesus take these bad feelings away. Jesus wishes you would be away with your whole past.
2: <laughs>
1: but that's, a, that's a flippant word because You can't get rid of your past. You have to understand something. In your brain, things that have happened to you are lodged, as it were, in little rooms or cells, and they will always be there. What happened to the woman I had read the 91st Psalm? God, by the word, took the hurt out of the past so that now the past did not come up suddenly, unexpectedly, and determine who she was. Now, God doesn't get rid of the past, so to speak. It'll always be there. If you want to remember it, you can. But you don't have to remember it. Paul said, forget it, and you have the power through the Holy Spirit to forget the past. Now, this is mighty hard on people because we've got all these ideas. Well, if they just remembered the past, and we've got the uh, historical idea that the past always repeats itself. But you see, none of that considers the new birth. So what we have to talk about is what is the new birth? Is, is it really a birth? Birth in. Is it real? Did anything happen when you was born again other than you cried and felt clean or shouted or whatever it is you did? Did anything happen? Did anything happen in you? Did anything happen to your soul? Yep. A big thing happened to your soul we seldom ever preached. Nothing left it, but nothing was left there with power to overcome or overrule Christ in you. Your mind became quiescent. Neither good nor bad, neither here nor there. All the past was there, but it was left neutral so that any information you receive would be fresh, new, and a determining factor in who you are. Scripture verses help us to see Particularly in the epistles, this was a major point. Bear something in mind. We need to get to further on today. But bear in mind that Jesus of Nazareth dealt primarily with Israel, who were an outer people, who did not have Christ in them and would not have Christ in them until the day of Pentecost and then until Paul received his revelation, would they know about it? So Christ's entire ministry was setting people free in an outer form, healing their sick bodies, supplying their needs, raising the dead, all outer things. He had marvelous words that could have changed them inwardly, but they were not words like, I live in you, or I'm going to be your life. That was not so. He could say in John 10, was it, I am the resurrection and the life. Or he could say, uh, uh, I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. That was not inner life, that was an outer thing. All his ministry was outer. When God introduced to Paul the Christ life, the whole ministry turned from the outer to the inner. That was different, you see. Now, man had within him the power from which it flowed through mind and body outwardly. What Jesus did as Jesus of Nazareth was to take care of the outer problems. If you couldn't walk or lame, he'd help you to walk. But he didn't touch the issue of why you would be lame. If you were insane, he would give you sanity, but not a new man, so to speak. He dealt with these things on that basis, and that's where so much of religion is today. It still deals with the outer. The message for the inner man is what Paul brings us. Paul then introduced to us that it was Christ in you. You see, that was the important thing. And Christ working out of you will control mind and body. So there are scriptures in Paul's relationship. Somebody says, why do you always go back to Paul? Because he's the only one that knew this. He's the only one that knew it. You know the importance of that? When we needed a doctor in America that knew how to transplant hearts, we reached down and got one and... Or is it town you live in over there? Cape Town. We <laughs> really, live down in Cape Town. Got one. So if you want to know what makes a human tick, you've got to listen to Paul because he's the only one in the Scriptures that knows that. I want you to look at some verses of Scripture with me. Look at Galatians 6 and 15. That's one of my favorite verses. It's got different words here, but it opens up a whole different and better understanding. Galatians 6 and 15 says, For in, here's your in Christ statement, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. What is it that avails then? The new creation. What he says here, that it doesn't...
2: 6.15,
1: Galatians 6.15 in fact, Paul said this in another place also, nearly like him. He says here that what you do, circumcision, man-made religion, what you do doesn't matter. And then uncircumcision is what you don't do. He says neither one of them matters. Then what matters? This new creation you read that scripture and get that out of it. Neither one of them matters. What you do or don't do doesn't matter in life. All that matters is the new creature. But we don't really have that fix, do we? Uh, uh, a Scotchman gets saved. He gets saved. He goes to church. But what does he do? He continues everything except what he got at church. There is no new creature except when he's religious or goes to church. To be a new creature means that old things pass away. He can go back to the Scotch family, all right, nothing wrong with that. But he's not a Scotchman anymore. He's a new creature. Three times Paul says, in Christ, there are no Jews or Greeks. Uh, or barbarians, that's German. <laughs> or sent in, bond, or free, not even male or female. Why does he say this? Because when you were rebirthed, you became a new creature. A radically new creature. Well, it was hard for that to take place with most of us because the moment I got saved, I uh, went back to the church and I conformed to the church. So I became a church creature took on the doctrines, got involved in the program. Nothing really wrong with that, but I, I really didn't become a new creature. I became a stereotyped creature religiously. So Paul made it plain here that we are new creatures and that nothing we've done or going to do matter. The new creature is all that matters. So but let me say it again. I've said it several times in these sessions. When God looks at you, he sees Christ. He doesn't see your circumcision. He doesn't see your uncircumcision. He sees the new creature. Now, religion can't be that liberal. It says if you're not doing right, you ain't got it. But God says, I birthed that in him. That's an incorruptible seed. That's like a birthing. You don't come and go with it. You're either, you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. There's no two ways about it. So it's either Christ in you or he isn't. The new creature is Christ.
0: And old things have passed away. Well, we have to stop right here, but we'll pick up next week where we left off on this great series, Renewing the Mind. This has been part number 10 you've been listening to with the session from Warren Litzman, the series he presented. He and Robbie presented in South Africa years ago, and we're so lucky to be able to have the audio and listen to it again here this day in time. Please visit our website, Christ-Life.org. Read all about us. Read all about the Christ Life And be sure and visit our bookstore as well. We'd like to thank Robbie Litzman to go into the archives each week to bring you these wonderful teachings from Warren. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And every week, Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship produces this podcast. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ Life.